Okay, today I'm chatting with Mark Eberle, the Executive Director of Smart Agro. Smart Agro are a social enterprise based in Cambodia and an organization we've been working with for some time. Mark himself is a documentary filmmaker and has been since around 2000. Then in 2018, he founded Smart Agro Sustainable Innovations. We chat about the work Mark does with designing and engineering new cropping systems, how those are implemented in the field, and where technology such as blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies are being used to verify the farmer's work and also reward them for that. I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Mark Eberly. Hey, Mark, welcome to the Task Podcast. How are you doing? Thanks a lot for having me. Great to be here. I'm, I'm doing well, considering the circumstances that we're in the pandemic and the lockdown is, is back in Cambodia. Oh, actually, I, I um, yeah, we hadn't. It's funny, I've done a few podcasts. Kind of, it's been kind of wavering the conversation around the pandemic. It's like the beginning of every podcast, right, for the last year. But having said that, it's quite interesting, I suppose, because I, myself and I think anyone listening would have no idea probably the situation in Cambodia, what the impact's been like. So what, what's it been like with the pandemic and where are you guys at now? Obviously, there's been some stuff happened recently then. The... Uh... Well, there's several outbreaks now, and so they're locking down the capital and uh, travel between provinces uh, and everything. is like last year, exactly one year ago, they had the same thing, and there was no Khmer New Year, and this year it's going to look like that is, is, is happening again and being postponed. For the economy, it's devastating. I mean, Cambodia is mainly a tourist industry, and the cash flow is, is, is all from the tourist industry and the other industries even though they generate growth, they don't generate so much cash in hands for people. And so it's definitely very, very hard hit. Um, and for agriculture, that means really that most of the unemployed people go back to their village and to the field. And so suddenly you have a surplus in labor, helping hands on the fields that wasn't there uh, before the pandemic, and that's going to go away pretty quickly, pretty soon, I guess, after. But this is one of the biggest constraints, of course, in, in, in agriculture and the agricultural sector in general is, is the labor on the field and access to it. And, and in Cambodia, you had the situation before the pandemic that you, you wouldn't be able to find enough labor in the countryside in order to actually really get the agricultural development going that that is, is a bit of an irony and the mechanization as, as always as during the green revolution is also the main point of development here in Cambodian agricultural sector. Interesting. I think probably some parallels to Thailand, no doubt. And I mean, touch wood, we are, you know, it's been obviously a tough year and, and the impact of it is going to go on you know, far beyond this year, actually, but it does seem right now, certainly within the country, we've, kind of opened up a bit now so yeah touch wood it stays that way but um yeah i mean on to, on to other things obviously we uh you know want to talk about the work you're doing in, in agriculture i think before we jump in it'd be great just to get some background on yourself and your organization smart agro um i will have done a little of intro jumping into the podcast but just to give a bit more background and depth to that it'd be great to understand the work you do with smart agro in cambodia 
So I, I used to be a filmmaker, actually, making documentaries for European, American, Australian television uh, about Asia, Southeast Asia, mainly about political, historical or cultural uh, stories from the region. And so I made a film 10 years ago about one of the few development educational films I made mostly was commercial for television and, and this one was a end of project documentary about an agriculture project here in Cambodia research experimental agriculture research project from CIRAD uh, the French research organization in, in tropical agriculture and so I had no idea about agriculture back then, and no interest whatsoever. And so just learned by making this film what these guys were doing. And they suddenly, I was thinking a lot about the doom and gloom of climate change, reading a lot about climate change at the time, being, getting more and more worried and depressed of which kind of bad turn this world was taking. And suddenly this research project opened my eyes and I realized that actually we have a second chance. Actually, we have the ability and the technology at hand to regenerate soils uh, and bring back soil fertility, grow more food for more people on, on, on the same area. And at the same time, sequester a lot of CO2 from the atmosphere back into the soil because there it becomes carbon and the plants just breathe out the O2, the oxygen. And so the C of the O2 stays in the ground and it's a very beneficial molecule for the, for the soil and brings back life, brings back biological activity in soils, makes them more fertile increases the water holding capacity and is so a good good uh, you know prevention against or solution or, or mitigation for droughts and um, and everybody wins you know and so i learned that back then 10 years ago and i realized my god this is why does nobody know about this this is so at the time it was really uh, minor, I mean, experts and scientists obviously knew all about it all along, but the general public, it wasn't really a story out there. And I thought, I have to make a film about this. This is unbelievable, this kind of work. It's the solution to our, you know, uh, to the abyss running against the wall. And uh, it's so simple in the sense, I mean, not very, it's very complex, but it's, it's a nature-based technology, just an agricultural practice of how you grow the food. And back then I realized the key is all in the food we eat and the way we grow it. If we can change that, 10 of the 15 major solutions for climate change are connected to, to the food we eat and, and the way we grow it. And then the indirect one is the way we transport it. So the value chain is all in there. And if we can change that, we can save ourselves from, from collapse. And, and I realized that back then I said, wow, this is, this is a story. I have to make a film about it. And, and a few years down the line, I realized the filmmaking industry is collapsing and I'm not really trying to continue like this. I'd rather do it myself and said, okay, I'm 
going to start a company and just do that. And instead of making films and being a mediator, I'm an actor now and, um, and I do it rather than film the people who are doing it. And so uh, that's much more rewarding and um, much more fun. So jump from a jump from creating awareness to getting the job done, which is, um, yeah, cuts down the time to, to actually create some really good impact. So that's good. Um, in terms of just to unpack a few things, there, can you talk to what the actual people will be listening to this and going, yeah, sounds great. What actually do people do when you talk about the different processes with farming and planting? Is it, you know, is it giving the soil a rest? Is it putting different types of plants in? I know, you know, from my knowledge of what you do do, this whole area of cover crops and things like that. But can you talk, you know, generally around some of the specific practices that you you teach and and you know that has that impact around better soil and, and reduced carbon in the atmosphere? So I, I myself, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an agronomist. I'm not an expert. I'm I'm just the the mind behind the company and setting it up. And I work with a lot of these experts and consultants who know what they're doing. I can speak to the simple, you know, practice and change of practices. But it's a very complex issue, and I am not be I won't sure. be able to talk about the, the details. Well, I want to put it into layman's terms anyway. That yeah. for me is the audience will be yeah to be able to just talk about this stuff as the you know the guy on the street, someone like me would understand. Would be great. Yeah. So basically, what we're doing is is called for in some circles is called conservation agriculture. But there's so many different labels out there, you know, and there's different concepts behind each label. And so all a bit different. There's climate smart agriculture, there's regenerative agriculture, and there's agroecology. And these are the main terms. Agroecology is like a really big systems design principle where you go beyond agriculture and you go at the society and people and communities and where they're situated and how they interact. Basically, what this new kind of system thinking is, is telling us in the last few years, it's been become much more popular, is that obviously everything is interconnected in the society. And if you want to uh, bring about change, you need a holistic approach of the whole system design that needs to change in our economy, our economic system as we have now understood in this pandemic, is directly dependent on the ecological health of the planet. And so we finally, after all these years, understand that the profiteering doesn't you know, make us better off um, as a species or as an individual also, and that our health totally connects to the other person wearing a mask and not necessarily us only wearing a mask for ourselves or for our sake, but that the only way to survive is take care of the other person and, and not the other way around. And so the same principle is true for ecosystem health. The better nature is off and the, the better our health will be, the better our economy will be. And if we want to create abundance we have to do that by creating synergies uh, between various sectors. And that same is true for agriculture. And agriculture is actually one of the biggest threats today to our survival. It emits 25% of greenhouse gas emissions worldwide. And on the Asian continent is 44% of greenhouse gas emissions that are produced by agriculture. 
Wow. So agriculture is the main, that's the direct emissions. If you, if you count the transportation and all of that stuff, processing, you get a lot more. You get worldwide to 35%. And on the Asian continent, maybe to, I don't know the figure here, but over 44, that's, that's it, the direct emissions. So it's a huge, huge impact. And agriculture can become one of the main solutions rather than the main uh, problem that we're facing today by just changing the idea of uh, less is more uh, in terms of inputs, in terms of costs, and because of changed weather patterns, we, we have this circle of feedback loops that is making it much more harder to grow food successfully and to be profitable. So all of the foundation is obviously in the soil and the, the more you invest into soil health, the more you get paid back and the more rewards you will get through saving inputs and getting more yields and profits. So the idea what we do is we, we've understood that plowing or tilling the soil is, is the worst thing you can do. You will kill the soil biota, will kill the soil biology. It'll be blown away by the wind. It will be dried out by the sun. It'll be washed away by the rain, especially in Asia where we have this erratic rainfall. So the only, the most, I mean, the foundation is to protect the soil against erosion and against any kind of harm. So we use, uh, we stop plowing, we stop tilling the soil. It's called no-till or zero-till. Or minimum tillage, whatever, and, and we plant cover crops. These are plant species that are beneficial to soil, leg, legumes, for example, that fix nitrogen from the air in the soil. And nitrogen is N, is the, one of the three NPK, one of the three compounds that are in fertilizer and that are being produced synthetically uh, at the moment and which is uh, which is double whammy because it even emits more greenhouse gas emissions because it's made from fossil fuel the nitrogen that we put on the fields and so basically uh, the practices that we're teaching to farmers and that we're implementing are doing away with any kind of synthetic fertilizer or chemical agrochemicals because if you stop tilling the soil it will sequester a lot of more CO2 from the atmosphere. If you grow cover crops on the soil, it'll sequester even more CO2 from the atmosphere. And you will need, if you roll these cover crops and plant the rice or the maize or whatever you're growing on the green cover, there will be no weeds that will grow, only the crop you, that you plant on the green carpet, so to speak, and the weeds cannot come through. So you, you, you'll save a lot of inputs, you'll save a lot of chemicals and you make the whole operation more profitable because you create an abundance that wasn't there before. And it's for free. Nature, nature is doing the job. The cover crops are doing the job of being your biological plow. You don't need a plow with a mechanical thing the root systems of these cover crops, they grow down, drill down two meters in 60 days uh, with the tap root system. And so the whole, whole soil aggregation, area oxidization uh, uh, is stopped. 
and uh, the airflow is increased, the water infiltration rate is increased through the root systems, so the water does not run off and wash away the soil, but it goes actually into the soil and increases the carbon content of the soil. And if you increase the carbon content of the soil by 0.1 percentage points, you increase the water holding capacity by tens of thousands of liters per hectare. And, and, and it's, a, it's a big, big change. And it, it, you know, the, the soil becomes a sponge sponge of nutrients and the nutrient cycling capacities increase so the plants grow more healthy stronger bigger and you have more yields and you need less chemicals to control it so you make more money it's, i mean it's that which is the key thing right i mean you you're basically just it's it's smart farming you're teaching people methods that ultimately are more productive both financially and environmentally um so it's a kind of good result all, all around um, in terms of the farmers you work with, are these uh, kind of small hold farmers, marginalized communities, big farms? Is it a, a mixture of all or, or everything? Or yeah, what are, what are the, the people you're, you're installing these new behaviors with? It's a mixture of all. It's, it's the main target client that we have is, is really more the medium scale business, agribusiness, professional business. However, most of the food in the world, I think 70% is grown by smallholder farmers that are using 30% of the resources and vice versa, where, you know, the main agro industry is, is, is grows 30% of the, of, world's, of, the, of the food worldwide and uses up 70% of the resources, so it's not very efficient. Um, but we're working a lot with smallholder farmers communities in Cambodia because these are the, this is the key to reduce poverty, to increase the standard of living, and to basically scale it up from the ground up and show because of the fact that the economic benefit is at the, at the center of the technology or of the agricultural practice change, that it can work anywhere in the world. Because if it works here for the poorest of the poor, you can understand that this is a successful model that you can scale up anywhere. And that's the case. And uh, we've, we've, we've shown that, and that's what we're working on. And because of the fact that these people have, are the poorest of the poor, or have no money, we're going through other organizations, aggregators that will pay for the farmer, um, you know, taking part in the workshops and, and us implementing the demonstration plots on their fields. Uh, so it's more as a development, you know, project-based work in that, in that market segment. But in the medium scale, you know, we're doing it uh, completely commercial and, and privately and without any donors or funding involved, really. I meant, I mean, Mike, it was a kind of leading question, really. I you know, just because I assume when you're working with the larger kind of farmers that are conglomerates or bigger groups where you can go in and kind of pitch this as a business model, I assume it's a lot easier to get traction than when you're in a village, you're speaking to a kind of marginalized farming community or a smallhold farmer that ultimately is going to be much more focused on an immediate return, which is his crop that he sells at market next week there are different challenges i assume in in motivating those those different parties yes correct um so what we do is in, in the village we have also a like a 
participatory approach where we have some kind of a role-playing game where we go in into the village community and, and we sit down with them and we play this game. It goes on for a few days and then we analyze or speak about it, about everyone's actions afterwards. It's a bit like Monopoly where you have your field instead of your street and then you can, instead of building a house or a hotel on your street, you can change the practice. You can say, okay, I'm going to implement a no-till, I'm going to use cover crops, or I'm going to be a service provider, or I'm going to fence up my plot and then I produce some livestock. Whatever it is, you can basically play out your business model as a farmer, and then you see what will happen and how the other people in the group will behave and change or not change. And at the end of the game, the people basically have learned through this game, through the dynamics, really, the group decision-making process that was probably not as, not as good for the community at the beginning because everybody wants to do their own thing. Uh, but then learning through playing the game that actually it's quite beneficial for everyone if we can speak about what we're going to do and how we're going to solve the problem together rather than everyone for themselves. And through this, we can solve some underlying issues of regenerative farming where you use cover crops. But in Cambodia, all the cattle is free roaming and then they come and eat your cover crops and nobody and everybody's like, hey, um, look after your cow, uh, but they won't do it because it's not, you know, the law. It, there's a law, but nobody follows that. And it's not the custom, basically. And so if we can talk about it and we say, okay, we have to increase the fencing of the plots, that's expensive. So how are we going to solve the problem? And so we can just say, look, during this and that time, the cows are over there and then they move over there and the, the local authorities, they look after that too. And and if anybody thinks they must behave differently, then already, you know, there's this agreement between people that, yo, okay, you know, you got you to gotta do something for me now. You got to pay uh, the damage. And um, that's these kind of behavior changes that we're talking about uh, as an outset to be able to implement new practices and, and change the practices. Cool, which I'm going to ask about in a minute, actually, when we talk about technology. Just one thing that's in my head as you're talking, though. I mean, you, you, you um, quoted some stats there at the beginning. I think you were saying 44% Southeast Asia, if I heard that right, you know, in terms of the impact. So obviously, there's a massive need for these types of um, changes in behavior and farming practices to, you know, reverse climate change, to put us on a kind of path that makes sense. At the same time, I think when people are listening, they'll be really interested to hear you know, this kind of advanced thinking when you're working in, you know, poor communities, predominantly in Cambodia. Is this stuff happening everywhere? Does it massively differ everywhere? When you start to look at, for example, you know, agriculture in the US, um, presumably they're already doing this or is it further ahead or no, it needs to be adopted. What, you know, when you look at this globally, which is really the issue, how, how are these types of practices being adopted? If at all, is it being approached in different ways? And, you know, do you then look to scale? Like it sounds like you're looking at this as a scale model where you go beyond Cambodia. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's happening globally. It's, it's not new at all. Uh, conservation agriculture, the, the, the concept of no-till is, is, was developed in the 60s 
um, in Brazil and, um, and came to North America in the, in the late 60s already. And people were experimenting with this since then. And uh, I think the No-Till Farmer magazine or something appeared in the early 70s in the US already and, and things like that. So there's a long history of the so-called technology. Um, however, because of lobbying and, and big ag and the companies, uh, there's always this bias that we want to sell the pharma gadgets that they actually don't need, but they, you know, they, they, they create our bottom line. So it's not necessarily good for the people or good for the planet, but it's good for business. And this is the, the old mindset, the 20th century mindset that we need to change really, that, that basically what I've just said with the pandemic, it's, it's, it's a completely different way of thinking if we, wanna, if we wanna make this sustainable and if we wanna survive and stop the extinction of all the species around us that we depend on. So uh, it's happening everywhere. It's, it's really, as I say, uh, on the forefront is South America uh, Brazil, Argentina, uh, way ahead with acres or acreage under no, uh, conservation agriculture. Then, of course, the, the U.S. is now uh, accelerating the new Biden administration already in this 1.9 trillion COVID bill has passed several things that involve agriculture and subsidies and, you know, paying farmers uh, money if they use cover crops or if they keep uh, their field fallow for a year. I mean, in the EU, again, also you're getting paid for not doing anything as if you're a farmer, which is also not very beneficial, obviously. It's, it's uh, short-term thinking and, and subsidies. I'm not a fan of subsidies at all. Um, they distract, uh, distort the market and they distract from actually doing what, what you want to be doing. And um, so we have Europe, which is way behind in terms of scaling up. I think they only have like five or six percent. 2017 figures is, is around that uh, surface under conservation agriculture, whereas whereas uh, US and, 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 and South America have, have a lot more. They have over 60 million, I think, hectares. And... Um, China is coming up very quickly. They've scaled it up very, very fast in the last few years. But their model of conservation agriculture doesn't involve so much biomass. They stop tilling the soil or stop harming the soil, but they don't really have the concept yet of feeding a lot of biomass back into the soil, which is very important. It's a very controversial, still controversial thing like like climate change was a few years ago when still so many percent of the people didn't believe in it. And, uh, and the same goes for all of these, uh, you know, conservation agriculture, regenerative agriculture. You'll always find someone who says, no, yeah, it might be a good idea, but it's not going to work on my field. And uh, that's how farmers are thinking. And, and I respect that. I accept that because you cannot come up to somebody who's been farming all of his life and suddenly you tell him, well, well you're doing everything wrong. Um, people take this very personal. It's like, the, you know, you, you're talking about me? You're talking to me? You're talking about my father? You're saying that my father lied to me or what? 
you know, this is, you can't say that. And so you have to be very respectful and, uh, and to, to see like, where is the intervention point or where can you open the door a little bit and, and show to the people like, if they change this, uh, you know, it, it would benefit themselves and, and, and all the neighbors as well and the I, consumers. I can't help when you say that, I can't help thinking about the, just before we started recording, we were talking about this, but the, the challenge we face in Thailand, which, uh, you know, I'm right in the middle of, in the north of Thailand, which is this, uh, you know, burning um, uh, crop waste, which th there's not one reason it's done. As, as you know, there's probably five reasons, but certainly up in where I live, which is out of the way, a lot of it is traditional um, habits, really. You know, it's, it's, I was brought up, taught to burn you know back burn or burn burn the waste we're farming the mushroom wild mushrooms or we're just clearing and and yeah it's very difficult because when these are entrenched entrenched traditions over generations and every, you know it is bad for those people and it's bad i mean we won't i won't i won't uh, bore our listeners with the statistics but it is a massive massive problem but yeah the the real challenge is is looking at how you change that behavior and maybe a good segue actually to talk about um you know what we're doing with you i think it's so interesting to this area of ultimately connecting all these different people you know you have the farmers you've got the organizations doing the work like yourself you have suppliers you then have corporates in the west you have bodies that want to go and invest in these processes uh sometimes to offset for themselves i mean it's this really fascinating business model that is about changing behavior, connecting and financing um, these new mechanisms. Um, do, do you want to just, it'd be great just to talk about that. You know, I know we're in a kind of piloting stage, but just in terms of, you know, how you see this working, rolling out, where technology is important. Um, you know, there's obviously, I read your kind of brief on the, the kind of blockchain crypto element to this, which is also really interesting. Um, yeah, I've just, that's, that's a, a lot to kind of undo there, but you know what I mean? It'd be great just to get some um, an insight into into the, the project and, and how you're seeing the, the tech being used in this case. Yeah, sure. Um, so, well, changing the world is, is complex. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so, no, I mean, I'm joking, but actually that's what it is. We, we have to start rewarding people for doing the right thing and our system in the past and our mindsets have not really grasped that with that concept that it's actually really stupid what we're doing and uh, it starts with people or, or humans thinking they're beyond uh, or on the top of the pyramid when it comes to nature and all of that stuff and actually we're at the center of it or not even but we are a part of it uh, maybe off-center, hopefully. And um, the idea is really to reward people for doing the right thing. And that's when dig digital technology and blockchains come in because they create transparency and they basically also create predictability in, in a, to a certain extent where you understand if you set this, put this in place, this system, it'll help you to manage, uh, you know, all the different stakeholders and you know what they're doing, you can see what they're doing and you can reward them for, 
for it or you cannot reward them for it but you can basically make life easier through the transparency and through rewarding people for doing the right thing and if we can then attach a value to the actions that they have uh, by creating impact by measuring the impact quantifying the impact and also qualifying the impact by basically telling the farmer um, if you stop plowing your soil if you improve ecosystem health if you improve ecosystem services um, we will reward you for your soil health for your carbon sequestration for your improving of water quality for enhancing the resilience of of the field and through enhancing the resilience of the whole landscape against climate change you know that's worth something and and on top of that you know it's, it's a new revenue stream for the farmers and everybody wins, you know, farmer wins, the consumer wins because they get better quality food, uh, nutrient dense, uh, less chemicals, less uh, using, uh, using up less resources and destroying less resources in the environment. And so that's what we're trying to do. It's like a payment system for ecosystem services that we will start a pilot project for in Cambodia with 150 households on about 400 hectares, where we involve a remote sensing company that will monitor and verify the impact uh, and then use task as uh, one player in this digital ecosystem to track activities on farm, on field, to have a certain dialogue with the farmer, to have a certain buy-in from the farmer who is basically acting, uh, uploading his own uh, information, content, photos, uh, data sets that he observes in his field, which will also help him in turn to better understand his field and what's happening there, at what point in time. People know a lot about this already if they're farmers, but you know if you can take a photo of your, of your pest that is, that is killing your crops and you can look it up on the database, what it is, uh, if people don't know it, and some people might know it, not all of them uh, will know it. There's new diseases coming every year. There's new pests coming. There's new viruses, not only coronavirus, but especially in agriculture, we have uh, several killer viruses here now the mosaic virus for cassava which didn't exist two years ago is killing the whole crop last year most of the crop was was basically uh, failed because of the mosaic virus uh, we have the african swine uh, fever swine flu that's coming that's new we have a new ban banana mosaic virus that is new is coming down from China over the last few years and then it reached Cambodia now this season or last season already and now it's getting worse. We've got new mosquitoes in Phnom Penh for the first time ever. Um, these kind of things are changing pretty fast and you can see the breakdown of the ecosystem everywhere and coronavirus is just one little symptom that that got us as humans but the rest out there is, is getting hammered completely every year. And so we've got to do something fast. And, and this payment system for ecosystem services and this pilot project in Cambodia with TASC will enable us 
to reward the farmers through task and pay out the actual uh, reward money to them onto their e-wallet uh, for the tasks that they have completed. I think, um, you know, sometimes there are not reasons to get excited about more network capability and more mobile phones in the world, because let's face it, we have probably more phones than people. And I think with, you know, Elon Musk and his satellites now, we're going to literally have, um, you know, network everywhere. However, in these situations, it's a massive benefit because the fact that a farmer in a field in Cambodia has a smartphone and can log in and show, you know, a supporter in Europe or the US or China or wherever, what they're doing and, you know, be be supported for that work, reduce the impact on the environment. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a great reason to be happy about about technology being in all corners of the world. So, yes, very much so, and and to basically also help to decentralize the system further, and and this way um, make it more transparent at the same time, and make it more efficient. Because uh, if you can create, if you can mimic nature in a way that you see. Uh, before Corona, we had a centralized, globalized system where China became the factory of the world. And suddenly, when the borders closed, we realized, my God, we're not going to get this and this and this and this anymore because it's all being made in China. Mm. And so to decentralize the system and create redundancy and, and, and hubs like nature does, really, uh, it's obviously going to balance and, and minimize risk and stabilize the system. Uh, the more diverse it is, the more stable it becomes, the more balanced it becomes, the more healthy it becomes, which goes for the economy as well. And now you have the Western countries saying last week or so that they're now all going to produce their own vaccines in the future. And uh, it's going to be nationalized again. And, and nobody's going to look at this, uh, you know, in the future where we see, okay, we've got the new variant coming, we've got to react very fast, we've got to be able to deliver very fast, we have maybe six weeks turnaround, and that's it. Uh, otherwise, we're going to go under. And so, no, they're going back to a more resilient uh, system, which is obviously decentralized. Cool. Look, it's been great understanding the work you do. Obviously, I, you know, we've been, we've been speaking for kind of 18 months so but I, I think for our audience definitely to get some insight into what you do it's been really useful I appreciate you you know giving you time and uh, in terms of people finding out more about you you mentioned at the beginning this documentary is that still something that's out there that people can watch do you want to do you want to share that or you know or other places they can connect with you find about the business get in touch do you want to just share any kind of relevant sources for information or details on you well we've got the website which is smart-agro.net we're on Facebook, um, which is all in Khmer, um, not in English, because we're starting here in Cambodia. We, we're having plans to expand, but as I say, it's early days, um, and we yeah, have to update the website while thinking about it. Uh, yeah, the things you have to do. Um, no, we we are we're here in Cambodia. Let's send us an email if we can do anything for you. And um, hopefully, in the next few months, we'll get this pilot project up and running. And I'm sure we'll read something about it on the blog, and in the in the media. Cool, sounds good. Well, I will leave um I'll leave the website details in the in the notes for the 
for the podcast. And um, yeah, it's been good to talk. And hopefully we, yeah, I hope everything gets better with obviously the lockdown and, and things that there's some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. And hopefully we'll, we'll catch up face to face at some point for a beer, maybe somewhere either over there or over here in Thailand. But um, yeah, it's been good to talk, Ark. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks very much, Matt. Uh, been a pleasure. And I hope we can continue the work. Indeed. Cheers. This is a podcast from Task. Task helps you create and measure impact. For more information, please visit task.io.